Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with a team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today we've got Derek Myron and he's got a guest in studio. I know you guys are colleagues, but I'm still going to call him a guest. And that is Sean Clark. Derek, you've brought Sean into the studio today. What are we discussing today? We're going to be discussing Grantor Charitable Lead Annuity Trusts. And Sean Clark is our director of planning here in the planning department at Centura. And he's very well experienced on the topic. Sean. Thank you, Derek, for having me in. Uh, I look forward to discussing the CLATs today. Um, I know we're going to discuss them from, from different aspects. So, Derek, what is a CLAT? So oftentimes when we're talking to clients, they haven't heard. Uh, they've heard of a CRUT, which is a charitable remainder unit trust. Mm-hmm. And this is the mirror image of that transaction. Whether we're talking to practitioners or taxpayers, the common question is, why haven't I heard of this? Charitable remainder unit trusts are, were very popular for a very long time, and they work very well in a high interest rate environment. The mirror image of that is the charitable lead annuity trust, and they work more efficiently in a very low interest rate environment. And so since 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, that's when interest rates have really dropped off the table. And so it's really been the last 10 years or so that charitable lead annuity trusts have become very popular. Perfect. There's a lot of different utilities for CLATs. We're going to discuss a little bit around the history in this country and how they're used. But um, most practitioners, I think, utilize them for estate planning and philanthropic planning, uh, those kinds of purposes. So we see a lot of that. We A lot of folks are familiar with them, and they may fit certain needs. They may not. But at Centura, uh, we find that they can solve some additional problems, too, specifically income tax planning issues and even retirement planning. So we're going to spend some time diving into those aspects of it and explaining how we utilize them here at Centura a little bit differently from others, which we find unique and and, and curious. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Derek? Yeah. I Often when I go to see industry talks or I go to the advanced estate planning conferences, and when I see CLATs being presented, it's usually for wealth transfer, uh, but rarely for income tax purposes. And I, it's very curious to me why that is, why that's the main focus. And and I, I can only attribute to my assessment is that it's just the last 10 years is when they've become so much more popular and people just really haven't looked at it from an income tax perspective. You guys have talked about how they're used, but... I mean, or in the cases of what they could be used for, but can you kind of break down how they work? Yeah, so we'll we'll get into how they work, but I think um, a little bit to to put a backdrop to that and some context around what we're going to discuss. Uh, I think when you look back in the United States, there's been a sense of philanthropy and a long history of philanthropy that dates back um, to Civil War time and and beyond. And so from Civil War to World War I period, the United States developed, the wealthy individuals in this country developed a strong sense of charitable giving. And then the 16th Amendment was passed in the early part of the, uh, the 20th century, and that was uh, what really authorized Congress to be able to levy income tax on individuals so they could start raising money through tax revenue. Mm-hmm. World War One came along in 1917, and effectively Congress needed some more money. So they made some changes 
to the tax law, and they did a couple things. They raised the lowest tax rate, they implemented an estate tax, and they implemented some tax on business profits. So when they did that, that was designed to raise money, and then we entered the war. Three months later, the War Revenue Act of 1917 was passed, and that actually gave the first tax deduction for charitable giving. And that was done specifically by the de designers because they feared that wealthy individuals with an increased tax would stop giving to charitable organizations and specifically institutions of higher learning, um, academic institutions and things like that. So they designed this tax deduction to make sure that charitable giving continued. So voila, charitable planning was born. Exactly. And that's why it's always gone hand in hand with estate planning as well, in our opinion. Mm -hmm. There are a couple kinds of CLATs. Uh, there's a non-grantor CLAT, and that's when you put a sum of money inside of a trust, and every year that trust gives away money to charity and you get a tax deduction. The second type of CLAT is a grantor CLAT, and same principle, you put a sum of money, let's say we put a million dollars inside of that trust, and we determined we were going to give away certain amount of money over 5, 10, 15, or 20 years. The IRS says, if I give a dollar to charity today, I get a dollar tax deduction. But what if I gave that money over 5, 10, 15, or 20 years? I made a promise today. The IRS gives you a tax deduction for making that promise. Now, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar 20 years from now. So the IRS discounts that dollar, and they publish interest rates to determine how to discount that dollar. They publish that rate every month. This last month, the interest rate was 1.8%. So if I promise to give away a dollar 20 years from now, they discount that back by 1.8%, I'll get something like a 70 cent deduction. So that's the kinds of clats that we're going to be talking about called grantor clats, and they come in two flavors. First flavor is a testamentary clat. Testamentary means upon death. Oftentimes, people put this into their will or into their trust, and it's just an option that says, when I pass, if I have an estate tax due, I can set up this clat. The most famous example of that was Jacqueline Onassis Kennedy, who died in May of 1994, and she left a large sum of money to her two children, Caroline and John F. And a, the C&J Foundation was set up in 1994. They ended up not electing to utilize that trust, but it made grantor clads, uh, made a lot of press when that came out. The most common, which is what we set up often are the inter vivos. It's during one's lifetime. That, those are the types of grant or clats that we most commonly set up. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about the mechanics of clats? Sure. We have a white paper on our website that dives into grantor clats in uh, a great amount of detail, and I would steer anybody interested in reading and learning more there. It's centurawealth.com. Um, however, today we're going to discuss a, a little bit around the mechanics. So Really, when we set up the grantor clat, there's a lot of different nuances that go into the design, and there's a lot of different ways to slice it and dice it. So, for example, even the term of the clat um, could be over one's lifetime or some predetermined set amount of years, say 10, 15, 20 years or more. 
So today's discussion will just kind of focus on a term structure, call it 20 years. So in a 20-year CLAT, when we go to design this, there's a few things that we need to look at. There's what's called the 75-20 rate, which is basically the rate that, we're, that the present value of the, today's donation is going to grow at. So today's rate's 1.8%. The IRS says that if we donate to a CLAT today, the future value of that donation is going to accrue at 1.8%. So we can design it to give out at different rates over the 20-year term. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we could have the income pay out. Now, the income gets paid out to what's called an income beneficiary, and that is a 501c3 charitable organization. So however much the grantor wants to pay out each year to charity, they can elect to do that. The charity receives the charitable donations um, each year. That's does, it called, does it have to be annual, Sean? It does not have to be annual. The payment has to be made annual, but you could front load some of the payments and you could get ahead of the schedule so that you don't actually, so let's just say that you had a schedule that was designed to give out $1,000 a year for a number of years, but you gave away $15,000 for some year early on. Uh, that would actually cover a number of the years in the term. Fair enough. You can pay it off at different rates. That also gets the termination of the CLAT. The termination of the CLAT could happen in a number of different ways, but even a 20-year CLAT could be ended in year 12 if you paid off the entire future value of those donations. And those donations are, again, based on that 75-20 rate. In this example, the 75-20 rate is 1.8%, and that amount is growing. The trust is paying out income each year to a 501c3 organization. And then whatever amount the assets are earning each year stays in the trust, and that amount continues to grow. So if the assets were invested in stocks or bonds or real estate or something to that effect that was earning 7 or 8%, that 7 or 8% would create a spread above the 75-20 rate, and that spread would basically compound over time. Now, if the return on those assets is sufficient enough, we'll, we'll dig into that, then there would be called what's called a remainder interest. And that remainder interest would be a value that's left over at the end of the term that would either go to the grantor themselves or to their beneficiaries, depending on how it was designed. How it's designed and when it terminates and the payout structure and all those things are really based on the individual situation, what their goals are, whether they're already giving to charity or not, what their tax situation looks like, um, all those kinds of things. So it really dives into a more uh, ongoing cash flow plan and understanding how these goals fit into their bigger situation to really evaluate the right way to design these things. But effectively, that's kind of the mechanics on how they work. Sean, this sounds like a really fantastic opportunity for those that it fits, you know, families that can utilize this. How does Centura utilize grantor clats? And earlier you mentioned that not a lot of people do tax planning and uh, they don't take advantage of unique opportunities like this. What do you see when you're working with your clients? So there's four areas that are typically utilized for grantor clats. Um, I'm going to start with the first one, which is philanthropic planning. And this one we see a lot. So this is somebody who might be, let's give an example, someone who's 60 years old, plans to retire at age 65. They're in their higher in income earning years. They don't forecast to have a real high income in retirement. So theoretically, they're in a, a higher tax bracket today than they will be in the future. And this person plans to give away 50000 a year to charity from now till, until they pass away. And in doing that, really, there's, there's different ways they can do it. They can continue to give each year over their lifetime. 
But from an efficiency standpoint, what that does is the tax deductibility of the charitable donations is being made in a lot of cases in those low income years where they don't really have a tax problem. So it's not being used that efficiently. So the CLAT would allow someone like this to give away those, those charitable donations for the future today and recognize an income tax deduction that can be utilized during their high income bracket years. And this can actually put more dollars on their balance sheet and, um, and we'll dive into how that works for other purposes. But from a philanthropy standpoint, this is how you can utilize a CLAT and specifically a grantor CLAT to, um, to give away and meet charitable giving causes. Sean, I can think of another case where we had a client that was joining a very exclusive board and had to make a pledge of at least a million dollars. And this particular client had a very high income, but her balance sheet wasn't, you know, a million dollars was a significant part. And she knew she was going to have high income for the next five or six years. And putting together a CLAT gave her the confidence that I could save taxes over these next five years and give money over the next 20 years at the, at the board level mandatory amount. And that gave her the confidence to go ahead and join that exclusive board. And there was only one other woman on that board. She was the second woman on that board. It was very, it, it, really, it really filled the right spot for her. Great example. Sean, you specifically said you had four areas. So what would the next area be? The next area is uh, estate tax planning. I'll let Derek kind of talk through that one a little bit. So if a taxpayer has a, enough assets and they're more concerned about getting assets to the next generation and they believe a certain set of assets that are on their balance sheet are going to earn a, a, a high rate of return, call it 7 10, 15% or more, this might be a great transaction to take these assets, put them inside of a charitable lead annuity trust, a grant or clat, give money to charity over some period of time, say 10, 15, or 20 years. The government believes that the taxpayer is only going to earn 1.8% a year. If the client believes that they're going to earn 10, 12, 15%, all of that spread is going to transfer to the next generation without gift or estate tax. Hmm. Very, very efficient way to transfer wow. assets to the next generation. And it's very commonly used in estate planning circles. A pretty famous example of that is the Walmart founders, the Waltons. They've been documented that they have used several grantor clats in their tax planning. All right, so philanthropic planning, that's obviously, there's huge benefits there. Estate planning and especially wealth transfer, I know a lot of families are trying to figure that out. Um, those are the, the first two ways. Uh, what, what would be a third way? Our numbers three and four are income tax planning and retirement planning. And if you have a, a, a client that is in a high income tax bracket, and that's a 45% marginal tax bracket between state and Fed and higher, coupled with they have a uh, long enough horizon, say 10 or 15 years or more, and they have assets that they believe are going to generate returns north of 7%, that could be a really good fact pattern to 
show that individual how to reduce their income taxes today and really save additional dollars towards retirement. Sean, I know that you do this work all the time in our planning department. Could you add some color here? Yeah, I think this is best explained kind of through an example. So I mentioned earlier a high income earner, but if there's a high income tax earner who has a high marginal tax rate, then any donations that they make to the CLAT is going to effectively put assets on their balance sheet because they're borrowing their own tax dollars. And so tax planning can reduce the current year tax liabilities, and that can be this year or the, the next few years. And so we have a, a lot of examples where centers of influence, other accountants and attorneys will refer business to us where they may have a client that they work with who has a tax planning issue, and they may come to us to design a CLAT for them to help mitigate a specific area of that tax. Um, we have other clients who come to us year after year or every few years and ha in the low interest rate environment we've been have been able to utilize several CLATs to effectively mitigate tax over time. So there's different ways to do that and that really becomes part one to a bigger retirement planning picture which is what we'll talk about next. With retirement planning, segueing on the tax planning conversation, most people don't associate giving away assets today with enhancing one's future wealth, but at Centura we do. So we believe that if you, and under the right conditions and the right design, a grantor clat can actually add to your wealth over time, and we kind of call it supercharging your retirement. Effectively, the key to this is what's called a break-even rate. So a break-even rate is really, um, I describe it as a rate of indifference between doing a clat or not doing a clat. So a lot of folks may not want to give away to charity during their lifetime. They may say, yeah, I'll give it away when I pass away, but I've got to take care of myself and family and this kind of thing. And so if we're doing retirement planning for them, uh, we're planning 20 years, 30 years out for income and where that's going to come from. And we will often be able to structure a CLAT such that if they can earn a return on the assets that's above this break-even rate, the leverage in this transaction actually allows for the compounding of interest over time and the wealth effect is, is massive. And so for folks that have assets that can earn seven, eight, nine, ten plus percent over a 20 year period, uh, a CLAT can be a great wealth accumulation tool to really supercharge future wealth and retirement income needs, things of that nature. So for a lot of folks that were utilizing it to mitigate taxes during their high income earning years, we actually design it instead of the estate planning way where we transfer those assets out of the estate. With a grantor CLAT, you can actually design the remainder interest to come back to your own estate. And when that method is done, those assets are there for your future use. So there's a lot of considerations around it, but um, we really feel that you can pair the philanthropic giving, the tax planning, and ultimately either the retirement planning or estate planning goals together. And we utilize it a lot for retirement planning, and we find that it's pretty unique and clients are really excited about it. So we've got a lot of examples of that. Sean, that's fantastic. Would you mind sharing an example or two with us so we can better understand this? Sure. So um, working with a client who is a business owner and plans to retire here in the near term, has sufficient assets to retire, but is concerned in, in terms of how they're going to take income over a 30 or 40 year period. Mm -hmm. And so we're planning out how, that, how they're going to monetize their business, how they're going to invest the assets, and how they're going to pull down that income. But the interesting thing is there's a few year, a few year runway here, two or three years where this individual is going to have a really high, um, high few income years. So they're going to have a t high tax rate. 
So we design a CLAT to minimize the taxes here during these years, and then we design it to come back to him 20 years from now. This individual, once he retires, which will be three years out, until year 20, will basically utilize other assets that he has to meet his income needs and lifestyle needs and things of that nature. Once the remainder interest of the CLAT comes back 20 years from now, he'll have those assets to utilize for his income needs as well. Mm. And so when we run this, this analysis together side by side, we do it in what we call a CLAT versus no CLAT environment. And this individual happens to have some alternative assets that utilize depreciation and other assets that are other attributes that make them uh, a good choice for a CLAT. And because we feel that he can earn a sufficient return on these assets, it actually allows his retirement plan to work much better um, than it otherwise would. So this is going to allow him to have confidence to retire, that he's going to have his future wealth planned for and accounted for, and that he's got a vehicle that meets his uh, philanthropic goals as well because he ultimately had those but didn't know how much he could give away um, mm -hmm. until he, he passed away. So this allowed him to accomplish several of those goals, and that's a, a pretty straightforward example of the types of cases we work on. Fantastic. It sounds great. I mean, it really does. But guys, is there anything that could go wrong? Are there any risks to this? That's a great question, Eric. That's always a question that we ask when we put together a plan. And just to reiterate on what Sean said, if you can save, like in this gentleman's situation, I believe he was 50 years old, if you can save taxes over the next three years and reinvest that money over a long period of time, getting over this break-even rate, whether it be 5 6 or 7%, any money over that break-even rate he, comes back to him, supercharging his retirement. So what could go wrong? The two major risks we see in these transactions are at times people may design these transactions and the charitable deduction is designed too large because you only get six years to consume the deduction. And after six years, whatever deduction is left on your 1040 will expire worthless. So if you design a, de a CLAT deduction that's too large and you don't have enough income to consume the deduction, that will expire worthless and make the CLAT much more inefficient. That's a major risk. The second major risk is the trust has to earn the returns over the break-even. And every taxpayer's break-even is different. It's based on what tax rate they're in, mm -hmm. what the 75-20 interest rate is, what the duration of this trust is going to be. We calculate what is the number that we have to make in order that for this transaction to be a net present value positive for the taxpayer. So when I say that, sometimes clients say, wait a minute, I don't have to be charitably inclined to participate in this transaction. I thought I had to have that charitable intent. No, you don't. If, depending on facts and circumstances, we have several clients that were not charitably inclined, but they saw the net present value to what this could do for their family and thought, wow, this is a great way to leverage the assets in my estate. Those are the two top major risks. There are many minor risks as well. As Sean alluded to, any income that occurs inside that trust gets passed back down to the grantor. We call that phantom income. Our taxpayers absolutely hate that. They tell us, Sean, make sure that does not happen. Hmm. So phantom income is a, is a minor risk. Mortality risk 
for term trusts can be uh, a risk. You can insure against that. There are setup fees and tax compliance costs and illiquidity and execution risk. All those are minor risks. Those top two risks are the main two risks. But those are all things that you, I mean, obviously we would advise anybody listening to this to seek out a professional that knows what they're doing, right? I mean, you, you always want to Absolutely. discuss the pros and cons of every strategy that's out there. So I, I think this is, it still sounds very, very promising for families that can use it for sure. And I know we're getting short on time. Is there anything that we need to know in closing this podcast out? Well, I think, you know, the, just to summarize a few of the key points, um, CLATs are really a dynamic planning tool with a wide range of applications. And depending on what your needs are, um, a CLAT is, is likely a solution that you should consider. Uh, the details in this type of transaction are incredibly nuanced. And so you've really got to design it properly depending on the client's situation. So are they philanthropically inclined or not? Um, do they have estate planning purposes or not? There's different ways to go back and forth and they all matter. Uh, at Centura, we have a long history working with CLATs and other planning tools. So we've been involved in setting up about 200 CLATs since 2010. If you're interested or anyone's interested in discussing any of the topics today, please contact us. We work with a lot of individuals, a lot of advisors, a lot of CPAs, estate planning attorneys, tax attorneys, lots of professionals. We hold wealth workshops where we all get together and discuss different planning ideas. And CLATs are really a uh, incredibly valuable tool that we feel are underutilized. And we want to spread the word and, and teach others how, um, how much we like them. Well, I appreciate that very much. You said they could contact you. How do they get a hold of you? You can reach us by our website at www.centurawealth.com. C-E-N-T-U-R-A-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Fantastic. Sean, you mentioned earlier that you have a white paper online. What I'd like to do is for every listener out there, um, I would like to put a a link to that in the podcast summary. Can we do that, please? Absolutely. Please do. Perfect. So we'll do that. So if you're listening to this and you're driving, you don't have to worry about anything. Just get home and then go to the podcast summary and, and click the little link there. It'll take you right to the webpage, right to that white paper. So you can download it and, and take a look at that and do a little bit more research. And then when you're ready, please reach out. You've got the phone number now. You've got an amazing team that will uh, walk through this every step of the way to say, hey, this is a great thing for you, or this isn't exactly a fit for you. We have some other strategies because they have a ton. Uh, guys, thank you so much for your time today. This was a fantastic podcast, and I learned a ton. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. Centura Wealth Advisory does not set up trusts. Our advisors work closely with the client's attorney to recommend the most appropriate trust for the client given their particular circumstances and risk tolerances.